And would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've made it to chapter 10 of this book, and it's an interesting transition that we're going through as we're hitting the final stretch of the book. Chapter 10 puts us back in a section of poetry, poetry using proverbs and illustrations to really make a point. Uh, The preacher is making a point that with all the toil that we labor at under the sun, there's going to be disappointment, there's going to be frustration, things are difficult and discouraging. In this vain world, sometimes things just seem so upside down. We have a hard time making sense of things. But I want us to see that wisdom is the preacher's answer. And it's been the answer that he's come back to before. But here in chapter 10, I think it takes a little change. I think we have to take wisdom to the next level. You may have heard uh, it said uh, in a tricky situation, something that's hard to figure out, it'll take the wisdom of Solomon to figure this out. Uh, Solomon was known as a wise man that God granted wisdom to, and he had it, but at the end of his life, tragically, he went astray. In 1 Corinthians 11, we see this perfect example of why wise thinking isn't enough. It says in 1 Kings 11 that Solomon loved men, foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. What did Solomon do? Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So we find that Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not wholly follow the Lord because his heart was turned away, the God of Israel appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And 1 Kings 11.11 says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant." Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. We see in the life of Solomon the fact that wisdom alone isn't enough. It has to be put into practice in our lives. Life under the sun is extremely difficult and discouraging, and to face it with wisdom, we must advance from wise thinking to wise living. Follow along as I read Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. 
Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth are, is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of, no, of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life. Money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your word we have some marvelous truth to study and to learn. Lord, we pray that you would work in us by your Holy Spirit, the Spirit that you have given us by adopting us as your children, the Spirit that cries out with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of the King, and that Spirit that gives us the power to fulfill what you've commanded us to do, to live our lives for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we would be helpless and hopeless without your empowerment. And so we ask for your empowerment not only to understand the words of this book, but to obey and follow the commands of this book. Lord, we truly want to be not hearers only, but doers also. Doers that you promise will be blessed in the doing. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of your word, the power of your scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So probably the hottest time of the year, I began building a barn in my backyard. Now, I call it a barn because my wife wanted it to be red, with white trim around the edges and look like a barn. So from henceforth, it's a barn, but it's a shed that was a kit that was delivered on a pallet in my driveway, and it had a big, thick booklet of instructions. In fact, I was so excited to get working on this project that I um, printed off this booklet, and I started reading it. And I read it, and I would talk to Janie about it, I'd go back on the internet and I'd do some more research and I'd look for different techniques, I'd look for different materials, I'd look for different tools, I'd go to the Home Depot Lowe's and, and, and shop around for just exactly what I wanted to use on this project. I read and read, I looked at the pictures and the diagrams of the barn and I thought, I got an image in my head, I see it coming together, it's going to look great. So I would talk over with Janie about the options she wanted, the red. Now, 
Me in colors, not so great. But my wife in picking the right color, that's the way to go, right? Happy wife, happy life, okay. So she picked a beautiful, awesome color, and it was all ready for when I was going to start the construction. So in the two weeks or so leading up, I'm researching, I'm reading, I'm talking to friends, I'm getting some of the extra materials together, everything I needed, and you know, with all that mental effort and time spent, how much of my barn project was completed? Zip, right? I, I was thinking about it, talking about it, sharing with others about it, meditating on it, learning from it. Do you hear where I'm going with this? The wisdom of God's Word is something that many of you have been sitting in churches and hearing all of your life, and you've been exposed to these good, wonderful truths, and there's nothing wrong with the truths, but there are areas of our lives, each one of us, where that truth is not making itself known in our living. That wisdom needs to be practiced in our lives. I really think that that's what chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes is getting to. It's really focusing in on the, the practical side of wisdom. And in the Solomon tradition, the preacher is speaking almost prophetically of what Solomon should have been doing all along, following the wisdom that God gave him instead of only thinking about it. So, we're going to see life under, sun, under the sun. We're going to look at the discouragement. It's the theme of the whole book. We've seen this disappointment and discouragement, but we have to acknowledge that a little folly can have a big impact, so we must practice wisdom. What does that look like? Verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. That's a beautiful thought, right? As you came in and put on some perfume maybe. If the perfumer, this person who spends all this time and all this effort uh, mixing together, concocting this, this beautiful fragrance, all it takes to mess that whole thing up is just a few dead flies, and then it stinks. It's all ruined. One bad apple ruins the barrel. We should see that reality in life and take note. All it takes is a little folly. It outweighs wisdom and honor. Verse 2 says, A wise man, his heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, how many of you have had your well-meaning Christian political friends post where they think that this somehow means that wise is to the right and fool is to the left. It's not at all what this is talking about. It's not really not even a claim for right-handedness is awesome and lefties are just out there, although that kind of works that way in our society sometimes. If you've heard the term sinister, that sounds um, like morally corrupt and bad, and the bad guy in the story is a, is a sinister fellow. Well, that word comes from the Latin that originally mean left or on the left side. And the idea here is that it's connected to historical associations that the author of Ecclesiastes would have uh, shared, that the left hand is the weaker and therefore less favorable than the right. Uh, we use the expression, he has two left feet to mean he can't dance or he's clumsy, right? Or the phrase, that was a left-handed compliment, meaning a, a back 
backhanded compliment. It's, it's saying something nice about somebody, but it's in such an unflattering way. So this leftness is, is just pointing to how a man lives out of his heart and how that shows in, in even their actions, even their direction. Your lean one direction, it will show out of the abundance of your heart, your actions are going to be seen. And then uh, verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, he's not literally saying, hey, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. People can tell by the way this guy lives, he's a fool. Just walking down the street, I know he's a fool. And that's how our walk talks and our talk talks, right? But the walk talks louder than our talk talks. It is going to be evident by your actions, whether you're wise or whether you're a fool. So little actions, they mean a lot. A lean here, a little uh, drift there, just the way that you carry yourself. Little actions mean a lot. But a little attitude adjustment can go a long way as well. Look at verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The other proverb that fits with this, that a, a soft answer turns away wrath, right? If the ruler is upset with you and angry, don't go after him. Chill. Just relax. Take a deep breath. Little attitude adjustments can go a long way. And this is thematically arranged, so it's not like in uh, order of verse after verse. So if you skip to verses 12 to 14 and then verse 20, you see in verse 12 that even words, little words, can have the big impact for good or for bad. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Complete opposite ends of the spectrum. The way things are going to turn out for the words of a fool, it's going to consume him. But the wise man will win favor. Verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. I mean, we start out with these small words that are foolish, but they just, if you follow them to their conclusion, and if you keep living by them, it's going to end in ruin. It's going to end in evil madness. It doesn't start out that way, but it builds and grows to that. Little words grow. Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Just the many words and words after words. In, in many words, there is foolishness, and the fool uses many words. Verse 20, verse 20 tells us how even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature will tell the matter. It seems you, you've barely whispered these words. It's in the secret of your room, in, the, in a quiet place. Even if you think it, it can get back to hurt you. So be careful. A little thing can make a big difference. I like how the preacher wraps in a few animals in this, um, and, and creatures in this chapter where we see just little flies are able to make a big difference we see how even a little bird is able to carry words to the king. And in the center, we're going to see about, well, a little snake and the damage that he can do. 
little things. Little, little things can cause big problems. A big problem like on your computer, this doesn't apply to you Apple users, but on your computer, that blue screen of death, right? The, it's a, it's, you can't go anywhere. You're done. This is, it's over. I don't even remember the words on it, but it, it's failure to boot or failure to do. You do nothing. You can have all the wonderful programs on that computer. You can have all the wonderful attachments to it, beautiful screen and speakers, but all you get is blue and it doesn't do anything. And I like to try and, you know, monkey around with things, fix things, make it better. And I couldn't do a thing with this computer. It was just stuck. It was useless. And I had a friend come over and he was trying whatever he could imagine and think of. And I learned that, you know, even these uh, tech experts, they just Google stuff and then it shows up. And so uh, he was doing that. And as he's looking just physically at the machine, he notices in the USB slot that there's, that there's something sticking in there. And uh, I had younger kids in the house at the time, and, and as he got closer to it, it turns out it was a broken off USB cable that there was no cable. All you could see was the metal ring of that USB cable, and it had shorted out that one little drive, which shorted out, stopped the whole machine from working. So you get the little tweezers, you pull out that piece, ta-da, everything's back to normal. Little things. I fear that in our day-to-day -day lives, in our Christian lives, whether things that, you know, are, we, we see them as big or small, we are maybe too lackadaisical or casual about things. Maybe we're not seeing the significance of these little words that we speak to our children, the, the, the little actions that we do for our neighbors they have some really big impacts for good and for bad. And so just be mindful and careful that a little folly has a big impact. So make sure you're practicing wisdom. Secondly, since life is full of risk and danger, we should practice wisdom. He illustrates that throughout with uh, some rather colorful imagery. And we see that, you know, there are times that we're, we're maybe careless and we rush ahead and there's danger. So we have to practice wisdom so we don't fall into that, literally fall into that. Look at verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Now, it just kind of puzzled me. Like, who's going around and just breaking through walls where snakes are hiding, right? But if you put yourself here in the ancient Near East, the climate is such that snakes are looking for a place to find shade, not to sun themselves. It's hot. And so those shady recesses behind the wall, if you're doing a construction project, if you're dismantling this wall, if you're breaking down the wall and you're not paying attention to what is around, it could be a snake there. And it could be deadly. Again, a small thing can have a big effect. But because we're being careless or because we're, we're in a rush, we miss something and it's dangerous. Sometimes just the simple, the simple nature of, of toil under the sun, of just regular work, it has its inherent risks and danger. As I look at verse 9, I think that's, that's the illustration or that's the point he's making. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Just that kind of manual labor is a risky thing. So 
go into that work knowing that it could be dangerous. So show care, show caution. Be a good steward of yourself and not put yourself in, in extra danger, but know that some things are going to be dangerous. And then verse 10, he just kind of tucks in there another work adage that uh, you've probably heard in your uh, leadership books and habits of highly effective people. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. So we should sharpen the saw. It's work smarter, not harder. We should think about what we could be doing to do this in an efficient or uh, correct or in a, a proper way rather than just adding more brute force to accomplish things. And then verse 11, he throws in this serpent again. The snake comes back, but this time, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. And I don't know what you have in mind. I kind of have this basket in front of me and this guy with the, the, the horn making this thing and he's causing this snake to be like mesmerized or whatever. I, I think what is in view here is that when people had snake problems, they would call somebody who was good at dealing with the snakes and was professional about it and they would have a certain skill set of being able to distract and how to remove an unwanted snake from wherever you had that snake. And so he had to know what he was doing. He had to be skilled because the, the stakes are high. But if he was a, the, the supreme expert at snake charming, but he was just slow about it, he was just not timely about it, he's going to get bit and all of his skills are useless. So maybe what it's saying here is you can be skilled you can, you can be at the top of your game, but if you're not moving at a proper pace, if you're not getting the job done and you're just kind of slacking or procrastinating, then you could get bit. I think there's so much practical wisdom to take from this. And again, why is Solomon going to this practical wisdom? Because I think all the head knowledge that he had wasn't really enough to see him through. I was just this week uh, installing a ladder stand for hunting and you, on this ladder at the top is a place where you can sit and so Tony was helping me. We we're doing this all safe and good. I'm assuring my wife every time I say I'm climbing a tree that I had the proper um, uh, ways to get up and we strap that down and these ratchet straps we're not using the old ones that are bit up by squirrels that have been there forever we're getting brand new ones and we're doing it right we're being safe and uh, there's dead limbs that are nearby that could block our view but also I don't want them to fall down on me while I'm there so I think I'm doing the smart thing and I'm getting the saw and I'm sawing it down but I guess I wasn't paying attention how close to the ladder it actually was and when this branch about that big around falls down, it slams into the bottom of the ladder and I thought, ah, oh, it's going to push out and I'm going to fall to the ground. It didn't. I'm here to, this, to talk about it, but there's some inherent dangers in things you do. We shouldn't take unreasonable and unnecessary risks. We should just be careful about the things we do. I think it's a stewardship principle of, of caring for ourselves. Now, thirdly, Life is going to be unfair and it's unpredictable. 
And if you don't know that yet in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to have to review because it's all over the place how things don't work out the way that you expect them to work out. Things um, aren't as they ought to be. Verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set many, in many high places, and I see the rich sit in low place. I've seen slaves up on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. It's backwards, it seems. The people who should be honored are in a lowly place, and the people who are lower should be, are, are in the high and honored place. Fools are, are in leadership, in ruling. That's not right. And then there's ups and downs of us dealing with leadership that don't practice wisdom, or sometimes they do. Look at verse 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So what's going on here? It's, it's not just saying that young rulers can't do well. Um, in the book, uh, uh, in the Bible, we have King Josiah, who was a child king, but he followed the Lord. When the Word of God was found in the temple, it was read, and he started to restore the, the worship of God and get rid of the idols. And so it's not just a physical age, it's, it's a maturity. And that maturity or immaturity is evidenced by, well, are they feasting in the morning? What's wrong with that? Well, the interpreter is in the end of verse 17. They're starting their party early because their goal is to get wasted, right? Drunkenness. And so if you live in a land where your rulers are partying early, that's sad for you. It's too bad. But it's a good thing when your king is the son of nobility, they feast at the proper time. But you don't know whether you're going to have a good ruler or a bad ruler. And I want us to apply this not just in um, political leadership, although that's, that's key too. Sometimes we have bad rulers. Sometimes we have good rulers. And we have to learn to adapt and function and to practice wisdom no matter who your ruler is, politically or even in your workplace or in your family or in whatever place that God's called you under someone's leadership. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad. We need to be able to function in either of those places. This chapter thematically is rich with this idea, wisdom needs to be practiced. We just can't talk about it. We just can't keep learning it. Life under the sun is too discouraging. It's too disappointing. We need to face it wisely. That wisdom has to be advanced from just knowing to practicing. So I want to conclude this with a concluding illustration that Jesus used to the greatest sermon ever preached. In the Sermon on the Mount, which follows in the book of Matthew, Jesus being inaugurated as the King, the Messiah King who has finally come, and He sets forth what His kingdom is going to be like in this three chapters of a sermon. And He goes through describing what are the, the Beatitudes, what are the blessings, what are the warnings, how to practically live in the kingdom that He has made. He wraps it up with an illustration as a good preacher, making a, a sound point for us like, what does this look like? What does living in God's kingdom 
in wisdom look like? He says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds beat on, blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The winds are going to come. They're going to blow against your house. Your house is your, your life, how you go about life, the, the environments you live. And winds happen, rains happen, floods happen to wise people and to foolish people. That's a reality, universally true. But what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? It's not that they heard the words of Jesus. They both heard the words of Jesus. We all hear the words of Jesus when we listen to His Word preached. The key difference is one heard His words and obeyed Him. That's the wise person. Don't hear me saying, that God loves you more if you obey Him, that God will accept you if you obey Him, that your going to heaven means is because of your obedience. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. We, we are not the ones that are contributing to our salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. But God puts a calling on our lives when He saves us. He wants us to live out that salvation in wisdom. And we are, in fact, His workmanship. We, we are, are His building project, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're called to walk. We're called to obey. Put into practice the wisdom as a fruit of your salvation, not in order for you to be saved. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. I don't think I could say it better than the way that Paul Tripp said it in a post I came across today. He says, you've been commissioned to obey, but your hope is not in the consistency of your obedience. It's in the grace of the one who called you. The one who called you is faithful, and he will see it to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you show us, in our, even in spite of our failures and our sloth. We thank you for the grace of salvation and the grace of transformation. You are purifying for yourself a people for your own possession who are zealous for good works. Train us by your grace to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives today. We want to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good deeds and glorify you because of them. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.